You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. What I really liked was that beavers are the only other mammal in the world besides humans that basically make their own habitat. What can they teach us? On species that left, that were gone, amphibians, frog, you know, different frog species, different bird species, all because beavers were not there. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. And this is the beaver episode, Angie. <laughs> Can you see how big the smile is on my face right now? I see your two teeth. I was going to say, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. They're not yeah. orange like the beavers, and we'll be talking no. about that. But Chris, golly gee, I have had more fun this week, more mm-hmm. laughs, and just some overall interesting reads about beavers. Absolutely. 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 A lot of surprising stuff. Sure. Tons. And as a Tons. behavior buff and wanting to yes. always learn more about behavior, I, I don't know if there's there's a better species out there. I mean, I am I'm in love. I I need more beaver cams in my life. So we'll talk mm-hmm. about that at the end of the episode of uh, where you can just watch beavers do their thing. Uh, I just I of course growing up having beavers and cartoons and mm-hmm. understanding that beavers build dams and blah blah blah. I knew what they looked like, but I had no idea. I never, I've never worked with beavers, and um, and they weren't at the zoo that I used to work at. So really diving in deep about their behavior, their physiology. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I know it's crazy, and I mean, just they're industrious. And I will tell you, one of the biggest things I learned this week was not just the physiology, which which is totally blows you away, and their behavior for a rodent. You know, that is amazing. But then just their conservation story is is very interesting. It's very yes. interesting. You know? Yeah. And one analogy I really liked was that beavers are the only other mammal in the world besides humans that basically make their own habitat. Mm-hmm. No, that's crazy and, to think about. Yeah, yeah. They're just they're engineers. And so yeah, I, I really I went really deep into the into the woods, pardon the pun or whatever, as far as learning about how they build and why they build and what it looks like. So yeah, if you're not, if you were not already a beaver fan, hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll have a new appreciation for them. And just like several species we've talked about on the podcast, I think they have a really interesting conservation story Mm -hmm. as far as almost being hunted to extinction. And then a lot of laws went into place to protect them. And now they're rebounding. Oh yeah, and with yep. and then they've been reintroduced to places where they probably don't belong historically. And so there's yeah. this yeah. really positive story. But then, like other species we've covered, there's you know there's a, a few beaver issues. Very few, if you yeah. ask me. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because <not laughs> I'm in not love. Many. Oh yeah. my gosh, I am so in love. And it's the the second largest rodent in the world. They're which huge. Yep. is amazing. They don't really, you don't really think of them being related to mice and rats, uh, and, but yeah, they are. And the largest rodent, though, I I thought was interesting is the the capybara. Capybara. Yep. 
It's always South America. Like South America, every time we do the largest something, like bear. I know. Wrote, I yeah, know. it's always South America. They've got some big things down there. But yeah, wonderful animal. You're going to love this podcast. I'm just, we're both energized. I mean, we always are, but oh my goodness, this one was Yes, just... there was a lot of uh, uh, link in video passing back and forth this week. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Oh my goodness. And if you want to laugh, just Google Zombievers. I don't know how they got the money to make that movie, but oh my God. Just died laughing. That sounds about uh, as bad as snakes on planes. It's it's worse. It's way worse. So it's like, how do they make these movies? Who who pays money to make these and then watch them? But anyways, if you need a good laugh, go ahead and Google that one. Uh, you'll thank me later. Really quick though, before we get going, you know, thanks to our listeners, you know, and our supporters on Patreon. You're supporting free education, the masses, getting this this out. But I just want to ask this week. If everybody listening just got one friend, one friend to listen to this podcast and subscribe, holy smokes, Angie, we would be in the stratosphere. We, we would quickly propel into the, the top couple hundred of podcasts in the world. So thank you to our listeners who are out there downloading, listening, sending us emails, making comments on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. And I want to give a huge shout out this week alone. We had three awesome hand-typed reviews on iTunes, which is huge. It helps us out immensely. So first and foremost, thank you to Drew. Drew loves our podcast, which is always a plus, and appreciates all of our conservation tips and has implemented some changes in his own life. So that's awesome. And Laura Lee 93 uh, loves us and she's an animal professional. So that's, I mean... That, that really rings true to my heart. Yes. So yeah. uh, if you like us, that's extra special because yeah. uh, you uh, take care of animals for a living. And so mm-hmm. uh, she re- requests Bongo, which Laura, thank you, thank you, yeah, thank okay, you. Okay, yes, yes. I yes, am a soon. huge Bongo fan. I'm trying to get my husband to get Bongos at his zoo. He says yeah. they're too big. And I said, there's no such thing. Uh, but at least I can do a podcast on them. And uh, yes, yes. So. And Very then last, soon. yeah. And then lastly, another five-star review from Amaze Them who has a couple suggestions, which sound amazing because I've never even heard of these creatures. One species amazed them, asked for, is the Dumbo octopus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the Yeti crab. Okay. Okay. We'll go back to the ocean. We need to go back to the ocean. Okay. Yeah. But thank you so much for taking the five minutes out of your time to to do that. Like I said, it's, uh, of course, we love Patreon. people, but in the same instance, not everybody can do Patreon, especially now. And so a five-star review and then obviously written is, is great. So thanks guys. Yeah. And then just a, you know, real quick, uh, just a shout out to Evor game from London in the UK. He sent us a special song he wrote. He's a singer songwriter. It's actually really good. And we're going to play it at the end of the podcast on, on our, our out, you know, music. Normally we play our, our typical song, but I'm going to play his song on the way out. And it's really catchy. It's about a mouse that was in his house. So awesome. Yeah. 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 So, well, I think that's the thing is uh, I talk with a lot of fellow animal lovers on a daily mm-hmm. basis. Some are scientists, some are zoo professionals, some are veterinarians, and some don't get to work with animals on a daily basis. And they're always like, well, what can I do? And I think that's the really cool thing about this podcast is anybody can be a conservation hero. Mm-hmm. You do not have to necessarily be out in the field with animals. You mm-hmm. may maybe you make art. 
that helps animals or gets people to appreciate animals. Uh, maybe you are really into politics and so you can do something from a legal perspective. So there's just a million things that you can do for animals. And I love this uh, community that we're building here, all creatures podcast. So I look forward yeah. to hearing, I look forward to hearing some good music. I'm a huge music yeah. fan. I know you are. I know you are. So yeah, it's special. It's a special song. So stay tuned for that. Angie. So the, the beavers, I think the first thing to say is there's actually two species of beaver and there's the American beaver and then there's the Eurasian beaver. So there are two species that physically you're going to talk about some of their differences. The biggest difference, I mean, this is huge, you know, especially when you get into evolution, the American beavers have 40 chromosomes while the Eurasians have 48. So there's a big divergence. It's, you know, we, we see some of these species or subspecies that are closely related, can crossbreed, things like that. With these two beaver species, you can't. They, they cannot interbreed, but they look pretty similar, right? I mean, there are differences. Yeah, Chris, there's there's not too many differences besides, like you said, the chromosome one, I think is the huge one, right? They Attempts in the past have been made to try to breed them in Russia, to try to hybridize the species, and it's just completely unsuccessful. So they're genetically very, very different. But looking at them, when I was looking at pictures, I'm no beaver expert, but I I, I would be hard-pressed to tell the difference. But in general, the Eurasian beaver is slightly larger, less round heads, uh, thinner, lighter under fur, and a less oval-shaped tails. So it's not quite as as, as round. And they're, they're, they have some different facial structure, too, as far as like the Eurasian beavers will have longer nasal bones. And uh, what I thought was really interesting, and I, I have no idea why this would be the case, but the foramen magnum, so that's the hole at the base of your inside your skull that your brainstem goes through. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, it's round in the Eurasian beaver and triangular in the North American beaver. Uh-huh. And I probably spent 10 or 15 minutes of my life that I'll never get back trying to <laughs> hypothesize, like, Why? is it because of wood, the wood they chew? And I, I yeah, have yeah. no idea. If, if somebody out there knows, I, I'm sure there's plenty of beaver <laughs> experts that are listening to this podcast. Yeah. Please let me know because that's super crazy and interesting. And then the last difference is coat colors are going to vary a little bit from brown to beige to reddish brown to brown to black. In North America and in Eurasia in general, but Eurasia tends to have a larger percent of beavers that are more pale brown or beige, whereas in North America, uh, 25% of them have more of a reddish brown coat color. Right. So a little bit of difference when it comes to that. But in general, I, I I think you probably need to be a little bit more of an expert to tell the difference or maybe side by side. So, uh, but the neat thing is, is they usually don't go into each other's habitats because their habitat, no. their, their range is so drastically different with oceans separating them. Yeah. Yeah. Far distance. And, you know, the American beaver can weigh up to 60 pounds or 27 kilograms, where the Eurasian can weigh up to 77 pounds or 35 kilograms. Length, just, you know, 39 inches max for American beaver, 53 inches for the Eurasian. I think the interesting thing is the tail, you know, that's one of the things that really defines a beaver too, is, you know, the tail can almost go like a, a foot long, you know, mm-hmm. or 30 centimeters, but it's like a paddle, you know? Sure. And so 
the American beaver, it, it's more round, right? You mm-hmm. said it's more narrow in the Eurasian, but they do have this paddle tail, which is one of their their big striking, you know, features, I guess, phys- physiological features that we'll talk about, you know, what's the purpose of it. And then I think both of them, their teeth, you, you know, you, you see beaver and you think these teeth are just huge, super long. They are big, but only an inch long, you know, 25 millimeters. So I thought it'd be like two or three inches, you know, like these huge dagger type teeth and they're really not, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're really no, not. no. And what I found interesting was their hind feet. So both American and the Eurasian beaver have webbed feet, which makes sense. It's one of their adaptations for swimming, mm-hmm. but I couldn't get over how much larger their hind feet are compared to their front front feet, feet. the paws. And it really is something, Chris will put a picture on the show notes. It's it's quite a difference, I would say, for most. I mean, I'm used to mice and rats where their feet are all pretty much the same size. Their toes Mm -hmm, all look the mm -hmm. same. But with beavers in general, yeah, they have these, these really just... It's almost cartoonish, Chris. I don't, yeah, and I know. I know that they they use they use their tail and their hind feet to, to prop themselves up, especially when they're working on really big trees and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, to help propel them through the water, the hind feet have uh, do a lot of have a lot of power. They're powerful hind feet, uh, and it's just what an interesting thing that I because I never have seen a beaver up close and personal. That I, I just throughout these videos, I just kept looking at their feet and giggling. Uh, and of yeah, course, when they yeah. when they walk on land, it's not super pretty, but no. in the water, with their the tail thing. as a rudder and their feet as a basically a paddle or whatever, they uh, they can really propel themselves. Uh, yeah, no, well, it, yeah the uh, the image I'm going to use this week I've already picked it out is perfect. It shows you the the front, you know, fingers not webbed, and then the large webbed hind feet and the paddle tail. So yeah, it's a and if you've picture, never uh, if you've never looked at a beaver face up close, I I think they're pretty charming. They're yeah. they have this oh, nice adorable. squarish nose and these little beady eyes and cute little round teddy bear ears. So <laughs> they are uh, they're they are and they are quite charming. I think. Yes, I mean, very. I really enjoy looking at them, yes, and I enjoy yes, why well, yes. I, I learned. <laughs> I learned a little bit about myself this week as well. I really enjoy uh, listening to them eat, like oh, chewing yeah? on the, things. Yeah, okay, it's like okay, it's, yeah. it's kind of like a nice white noise or something. I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> I obviously love watching horses eat, so it's somewhat similar. Yeah. But oh, yeah. yeah, so funny. Now, where are these range? So the American beaver is North America, so Alaska, Canada, the United States, down into Mexico. You just won't find them in like the deserty regions because they're riparian. They, they they need water to survive. So they're going to be around fresh water, you know, lakes, rivers, ponds, uh, swamps. That's where they want to be. Now, staying in our side of the world, they are introduced into South America. And that's Argentina and Chile, which we're going to get to in a minute because they're, they're considered an invasive species. Now, the European or Eurasian beaver... Mainly in Russia is their stronghold now, but they they do range all the way into you know parts of France, up into Finland, Sweden, Germany. That's kind of where they've come back. There have been some reintroductions in the UK, so in Scotland and in Devon, so mm-hmm. in the south and in the north of the UK. They, they've been oh yeah, I have a to... whole slide about urban beaver. I mean, okay, we'll get there. We'll get yeah. there. 
Then you go all the way across Asia and there's still a stronghold, a little, some of them that are in Mongolia or China region. Now they used to be all the way from China, Mongolia, all the way over into Europe. But after being devastated for, you know, centuries, you know, that they're no longer there, but they're starting to make their way back, you know, through mm-hmm. Russia and parts of that, that area. Because I mean, Angie, you know, one of the things before we even got started, you and I were just like, this species is so critical for a healthy ecosystem yes, in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. I just didn't quite realize that. Uh, I I, I had no idea that they are literally known as an ecosystem engineer. They're known as a keystone species, which basically means when they're not in an area that they're native to or if they get wiped out, that several species are impacted by that. And as we get dive deeper into how they build their lodges and how they dam rivers up, we'll be able to help explain some of the species that are impacted by their engineering. And it's just was, it became really evident to me. And the more I read and the more videos I watched, it's just how critical they are to an ecosystem and how, what big role they play. And and Chris, some of the more notable things that they do within an ecosystem are they help prevent erosion They'll, ra- they'll raise the water table, and the dams that they build act as purifying systems for the water. This is because silt that occurs upstream of the dams and toxins have time to be broken down. And several researchers have actually su- suggested that beavers can potentially affect climate change. They can increase open water and lessen drought. So they'll make wetlands wider Mm-hmm. which is a huge thing as the climate is changing and temperatures are increasing. Water is going to become more and more and more valuable. I mean, I, if not the next gold or oil out there. Right, so right. by helping naturally shape the landscape, it's a really good thing. And it's a good thing if it helps benefit people, but also all the animals, the the deer or the moose or the insects that live in the logs that they knock down, the fish, the, I mean, just Birds, so many creatures amphibians. are impacted by yeah. them. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm not doing, I don't think I'm doing it justice, but uh, one research suggests that as far as decreasing drought and opening water space, a family of beavers can increase that area of water by 600%. Wow. 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 I mean, they're critical. They're, they're super, super critical. Well, yeah. And we talked too a lot about the toxins that are in a lot of our, that have made it unfortunately into a lot of our big river systems. And obviously you're not going to find them on a big fast flowing river, but on a small little tributary that leads off of it or in a pond area where of course there's probably some runoff and things like that. Uh, they can play a real, real critical role in clean, helping clean it up. Well, Angie, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to give you two extremes. And this is what really, I think, will kind of take that take-home message of, you know, what's going on in conservation around the planet, the challenges that are going on out there in, in two different uh, ecosystems. And beavers are, are a great example of what's going on in many parts of the world. So first is we talked about them, you know, I'll take you down and I'm going to build you right back up. 
So in South America, it's really interesting. I didn't realize that that this happened. But so in 1946, Argentina, after World War II, trying to develop you know, economically, they thought, well, beavers will bring beavers into Patagonia and it's going to help the ecology, the environment and also economics for fur. Like they wanted people to come in and hunt them for fur. So they brought in 10 pairs of Canadian beavers from Manitoba to Tierra del Fuego, which is kind of, I guess that's the southernmost province, a lot of islands and things like that around there. Yeah, I mean, land of fire, I believe. I know yeah, Fuego's fire, be, at least. It's supposed I mean, to be beautiful. Our Spanish-speaking like, listeners yeah. are like, oh my gosh, yeah. these two. <laughs> but it failed. The project totally failed because nobody really cared about hunting beaver pelts. I think that there's like, they're not worth it. And they have no new nat- they have no natural predators in that region of the world. So within 50 years, these beavers, these these 10 pairs became a hundred thousand beavers. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Busy beavers. Yes, very busy. Busy bre- breeding everything. Then in the 1960s, they crossed the border into Chile or Chile. Mm-hmm. So that's where they are now. So down there, they are now considered a massive invasive species in a pest. And I'm going to link the National Geographic article that I kind of read through. It was really, really interesting because what happened is down there, they go and have been just destroying the habitat, tearing down trees left and right, building their dams, doing what they do. But first of all, they have no checks in place to keep them in balance. Second, that part of the world has not evolved to deal with beavers for millions of years. So what's interesting in North America, trees have evolved defenses or have evolved with the beavers. So they need the beavers in the environment to spur growth and to, again, doing the things that you talked about, all the benefits. So they said trees like willow, cottonwood, American beech tree, alder trees, they've all evolved responses to beavers chewing and flooding. So when you cut them down, like I think it's willow trees or or, uh, I think they said cottonwood, they re-sprout quickly. Yes, Chris, this is why I love the podcast. I always learn a lot too. I, I, Mm -hmm. as I was reading about beavers in North America and how they fell trees, a lot of the species of trees can handle it. I came across all these forestry terms that were new to me. And one of them is capice, which is related to broadleaf trees and how they regrow, providing easy to reach stems and leaves for food in subsequent years. And so this is where an area of like woodland or broadleaf trees or shrubs, once they're cut down, it actually enhances the growth of the stems and the leaves next year to help regenerate things. And it's Mm -hmm. actually uh, people in forestry do this to help stimulate things um, as it's a practice, but the beavers have been doing it for a millennia and it's really helpful to the trees in North America, obviously not in South America. South America, these trees are not used to that or haven't evolved, which takes, you know, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. So the North American ecosystems or or not even just North America, North Hemisphere. So Eurasia, the Eurasian Mm -hmm. beavers and the North American beavers have all evolved. And so they're used to this. It's natural. It's part of the biome. 
So unfortunately down there, beavers are, are an invasive species. They've destroyed about, they estimate about 120 square miles of forests, twice the size of DC, Washington, DC here in the States, you know, large, large area. And so they're trying to eradicate them. All right. That's one part of the world. Now where beavers have been eradicated or where beavers have been decimated, the good news, one of the stories that you and I have always talked about are the wolves to Yellowstone, right? When we took wolves out of this, the ecosystem, Yellowstone, they noticed, started to change. And Yellowstone is a major, massive natural park here in the United States. Beautiful area. It's up in Montana, Wyoming, right? I, or Wyoming. I cannot wait to go one of these days. I know. But it's so on my bucket list. When wolves were removed, elk and deer went nuts. They went nuts. It went way beyond what the ecosystem could handle. And so one of their preferred, especially for, for elk, preferred food sources are willow trees and aspen trees. So this totally decimated the beaver's food source. And so the beavers like totally left. Then you had rivers running deeper and faster. You didn't have all these benefits that Angie talked about before, you know, where it was slowing down filtration. So you had a total trickle down and up effect on species Mm -hmm. that left that were gone. Amphibians, frog, you know, different frog species, different bird species, all because beavers were not there. Now, the good news is when the wolves were reintroduced in the mid nineties, and basically what happened is that the wolves drove because, you know, their, their natural, you know, behaviors and hunting behaviors drove the elk and deer into higher elevations where they belonged, you know, instead of the valley floor in Yellowstone. And so then you had these willow trees coming back, the aspen trees coming back. And in turn, beavers are coming back to Yellowstone now. So I did read a paper on the census that, you know, there's more colonies it's slowly recovering, has not fully recovered. It's, it's the willows, one of their favorite food sources, again, is slowly recovering. So it's going to take a while. You know, you can't just throw them back in there and say, okay, good luck. Sure. Yeah. So again, thinking about this, you know, in the, from every different direction of the compass, conservation wise, this is why we have to protect the wild. Because even when you rehabilitate an ecosystem like a national park, one of our most beloved national parks in the United States, it takes a long time. You can't just snap your fingers and say, okay, everything's fixed. So, you know, we're we're ripping down the Amazon. The Amazon's burning as we speak today. Nobody's talking about it. And you can't just snap your fingers and say, okay, we're going to stop and reverse everything. It takes decades, decades. But... The good news is beavers are back in Yellowstone. Beavers are back in parts of Europe. I know you're itching to talk about this. Just really quickly. So what happened is by the 12th century, there was only about 1,200 Eurasian beavers left in Europe. That they were just almost totally gone. Totally gone. And now through reintroduction efforts... There's about 640,000 that I mentioned in Britain. So Pip, you know, she's got beavers in her backyard again, Scotland, you know, other places, right? So beavers are, are making a comeback where they were eradicated. Yeah, no, the urban beaver. Yes, <laughs> yes. No, it's quite crazy for a lot of our listeners that 
do live in major cities such as New York, Chicago, San Francisco. The American Beaver has Mm -hmm. made their way back um, or has been reintroduced. For instance, for our friends in Canada, uh, there's probably about 200 beavers that live within the city limits of Calgary. Mm-hmm. Some in Winnipeg, Vancouver, and Toronto. And then here in the United States, for my friends in New York, uh, some beavers have made their home along the Bronx River. In oh, Chicago, wow. when I at the Lincoln Park Zoo, I never yep. saw them, but supposedly uh, they have that some beavers have made their home near the North Pond of Lincoln Park in the Chicago mm-hmm. neighborhood. And just outside of San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, some beavers have made their way to Martinez, California, and are in Alhabraba Creek. So, yeah, I, I think that for all of our fans that live in a more of an urban area, send us those beaver pics. For yeah. sure. I want to <laughs> see them um, for the most part, depending. Uh, but, yeah. And then, of course, I was yeah. actually just uh, I was just on the phone with my brother before we started podcasting. And he's in southwest Michigan, my old stomping grounds. And he told me that there are some beavers that are in southwest Michigan. And mm-hmm. as you previously mentioned, and uh, at least in southwest Michigan, there's – people that love them and people that want them gone. So because of course the beavers want to live in completely people house farm free areas Mm -hmm. to make their homes. The more an area is urbanized with houses and people and farms and traffic and roads and things like that, it's harder for the beavers to have the privacy like they would at Yellowstone and to be able to do the beaver things that they need to do without having it, influence people. And in Southwest Michigan, they've flooded roads that shouldn't flood and they've done other things that have been considered more of a nuisance. And so Mm -hmm. it's, it's, yeah, but naturally Michigan used to be one of their stomping grounds, you know, for hundreds of thousands of years. So there's still work that needs to be done with a human beaver conflict to do what's in the best interest for the people that live around them and the safety of people. And then also, of course, the safety of the animal and that they, mm-hmm. so they can live there. And wildlife biologists are still figuring it out what that happy medium is. Right. Right. Yeah. But they, I mean, again, they, they're such a critical species. Well, the that's the thing I mean, is it's like, you know. we need to figure out how to live with them in their historical range because it is really mm-hmm. important uh, for, Um, for the ecosystem in general, uh, especially Mm -hmm. in in this environment that we live in in this day and age. So, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, for one, am a beaver fan. So. Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. I know. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's just quite interesting. And, and, and Chris, you mentioned the story, the conservation story about the Eurasian beaver. Well, it's Mm -hmm. very, very similar in North America. Uh, They were, uh, I don't think they were down to 1,200 like they were in Eurasia, but the yeah. North American beaver was almost hunted to extinction or at least a lot. I mean, they, uh, I mean, there used to be millions of them and millions, yeah. tens of millions yeah. of them. Uh, and then by 1998, it dropped maybe 6 to 12 million. It's hard to know for sure. Yeah. And and so orders of protection have been put into place uh, for them. And yeah, their numbers are slowly starting to rebound, which is a good thing for the environment. And yeah. we just have to figure out how to live with them uh, from the from the people point of view. 
Yeah, from the urban point of view. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, uh, beautiful animals, and they are very critical. So I'm glad we spent some time talking about that. And, and I'm in love, Chris. Enough. I just I wait till we get to their nutrition and their behavior. I know we'll get there. Okay, so let me get through evolution. So Angie, I don't know if you remember or not, but you know, rodents are the largest percentage of mammals out of any other class of animal. I mean, 42% of all species of mammals. Okay, are no, I was just, I was going to say like 30. So, wow. Yeah, yeah, 42% of all mammal species are rodents. So, expect more rodents in our future. In our podcast <laughs> Absolutely. So many of them. It all goes back to one of the first mammals, Hadrocodium Wu, was a fossil ancestor 195 million years ago, looked like a small mouse. What we do know, rodents evolved, started evolving really about 70 million years ago with the lagomorphs. So our favorite pikas and rabbits and hares. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, that's the the broad picture. Beavers are very distinct. This was fun. It was fun to go down this little rabbit hole or the beaver hole with this one because they are so distinct from other rodents. And it traces back to about 40 million years ago, where the family of beavers castor today. And today there's only the two species, but you know they can trace back to a bunch of different ancestors over that 40 million years. Now, the family is obviously castor today. The only two species are the castor genera. Mm-hmm. So the North American beaver is castor canadensis. Mm-hmm. Then this one's really hard. I don't know if I can do it. The Eurasian beaver, castor fiber. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's it. Castor fiber. So that's their species name. Now they both separated about seven and a half million years ago. So then one of them went off to North America from Eurasia. So they, they evolved in the Eurasia area the American beaver, North American beaver came over about seven and a half million years ago. And you're talking about a huge difference in chromosome number, 48 versus 40. I mean, that that's massive mm-hmm. uh, difference. So genetically different. This is where it got fun. And I was like, okay, why are beavers so different? Well, like we said about 40 to 50 million years ago, mitochondrial DNA is how they've, they've studied these, this, these species. You're never going to guess their closest relative, I don't think. I just don't think there's no way. There's no way. It's Is it in the rodent family? Yeah, yeah, the rodents. Yeah, So I can give you the family name. Okay, that's An- fun. Animalaris. Not helpful. <laughs> Be- yeah, I know. I had, I not, had to take I, uh, I had to take uh learn all the animal names uh uh, 20 years ago. Okay. But so obviously let, that was let me help you on memory. this one. This one, you know, I was like, whoa, okay. So the Animalaris is a, is a family of scaly tailed squirrels from Africa. Okay. I don't know, <laughs> know about those guys. <laughs> no, no, me. I mean, I was like, what? Like I said, there's just over 2000 species of rodents. So they and, still and exist, that makes so we need to cover yes. these guys. Okay. Cool. Yes. In Africa, scaly tailed. So think about it. The beaver tail mm-hmm. is kind of described as scaly. Here, okay. leathery. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's their closest relative. That's not the one that I was like, okay, okay, that's different. Their closest next relative up the tree. Nanospalax. Nanospalax. How about mus- musculus? Do you know that? Muskrat? Mus- Muscle musculus. 
Mus musculus. No, not a musculid. That's a rodent. Mm. There's people out there screaming it. I know it. I know. Good people for are them. I wish. I wish. I. We need like a phone of <laughs> friend. Like I could phone yes. them in and have them help me Mus- out. Because I refuse. Whenever I play trivia, we've been playing Zoom yeah. trivia with friends recently. Yeah. Since with all everybody staying home, and uh, yes, yeah. I, I would never cheat. That's that's. I, I don't mind looking like a fool to learn yeah. something. So. Mus musculus, pretty common. Oh, oh, Rodent. a mouse. Yeah, I know. There you go. Yay. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. Okay. My okay, mom okay. brain. I have, I have too yeah, much right. going on in there about yeah, what activities right. we're right. going to be doing. Yeah. This week. So mice. Now, nanos. That doesn't make any sense. I had to look it up. I had to look this one up. We covered them. They're naked. Oh, naked mole rats. Yeah, mole rats. This episode like. actually reminds, from a behavior <laughs> point of my mind yeah. being blown. This yeah. is right up there with naked mole rats for me. Yeah. As far as just so I maybe that's I, I in my in my in my own brain, which doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. I I as I was prepping for this episode, I was just like, wow, this is kind of like naked mole rats as far as yeah. how they build things and it's their instinct to just build, 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 build. And um, but yeah, they don't from a morphology point of view from the way they yeah. look from a phenotype point of view uh, i don't see any resemblance and same thing and with i don't mouse. either <laughs> but mitochondrial dna study now we don't you know one study one genetic study you know i'm sure this would be teased out more uh, somebody that studies it but you know that was what they found and i thought it was pretty fascinating with yeah. all the species of you know, I mean, even the rat is. So is they split off related. a long, 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 long time ago, quite clearly. Yeah, 50, 50 million years. Like 50 and that's what years. I kept yeah. going to in this episode when I was thinking about it is just all these special adaptations to make mm-hmm. them semi aquatic, so good mm-hmm. at it. The tail, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that they evolved the tail is just incredible Crazy. to me. Yeah. And, and so like why? And the web, why? And the yeah, web feed yeah. and just the. Yeah. So wow, okay, but yeah, I know. Cool, I know. man. That's why I love this. Science. I love this. I uh, uh, can't believe I forgot the mouse's scientific name, but that's oh, right. Well. No, you won't. You, you won't. I remembered it in the end, and I did not. I swear to goodness, did not use Google. <laughs> oh, no, and you I didn't even give me any it. hints. So I mean, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm actually really proud of myself right now. All right, now be careful when you Google this. But the largest beaver ever. So <laughs> the sorry, I had to throw. I had to throw in one choke. Um, yeah. This was Castoridae's, lived in the Ice Age, and didn't have the flat tail, but a big tail. This thing was huge, six over six feet in length. They could almost be longer than seven feet, weighed almost 200 pounds, up to 300 pounds. It's the largest rodent in North America. Mm-hmm. I think it was a monster and only died out 11,000 years ago. That's crazy. Uh, That's like so- a beaver, a beaver bigger than you. Yeah, you wouldn't. You would be scared of it. It would scare you. Like <laughs> it's the one that for zombie that, movie. Yeah, as I say, it's one for that <laughs> movie, right? Yeah, it's like run from it, run from it. Um, anyways, so fascinating stuff with evolution with them. Uh, quickly, I know I live up to fifteen years in the wild, but what we really want to talk about is some of their cool physiology, like the teeth. Yes. The teeth. orange teeth. Why yeah, are their teeth orange, Angie? That's a Why? good plan. We're going to start from their teeth and we're going to move to their anal glands. 
There you go. That's how we're gonna <laughs> Their go. tail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, it, uh, people. When I mentioned it in the beginning of the episode, were probably like, "What do you mean their teeth are orange?" But yes, that is the facts about their teeth are quite fascinating. As Chris mentioned, they're in the rodent family, so their teeth continually grow. Mm-hmm. So, which is a good thing because they're chewing on wood. So their front four incisors, which are what you would see if you looked at them right away, uh, have evolved to be harder. And researchers think that this is uh, due to basically trace minerals that help give their teeth their strength. And it's actually iron mm-hmm. that gives their teeth the orange color. And so it's not that their teeth are rotten or anything like that. They just actually, their tooth enamel contains iron, making it sharp and strong. Makes sense. I mean, come on. You need an iron chisel or something to chisel Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's nature. Yeah. mm -hmm. And they've also evolved so that basically the orange enamel on the front of the teeth wears away more slowly than the white area or the white dentin on their back. And so this helps this yin-yang helps basically the beaver's front teeth self-sharpen as they chew on trees. So pretty cool stuff. I mean, it's just – so it's really important when beavers are under human care at a zoo or something that they're always given a lot of natural logs to do their thing because their teeth would keep growing and that would actually be a bad thing if they grew out of their mouth. Yeah, and I know we did it in squirrel episode too, the Indian giant squirrel. They have to chew too because those teeth continually grow. Mm-hmm. They continually mm-hmm. grow. So that's why, you know, and I know squirrels sometimes drive people mad because they chew on the house and things like that. But that's, it's a natural behavior. They have to do it or they will die. They will exactly. die. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then moving towards their rear end, uh, they mm-hmm. actually have a skin flap behind their teeth that allow them to haul branches in the water which we'll talk about some of their food storing behaviors and things like that when we get to nutrition. But they move a lot of branches through the water to either build their dam, to store food, or to build their lodge. And so the skin flap helps them not choke or swallow water that they don't want, which that mm-hmm. got me thinking uh, my my big, beautiful mutt dog, Gypsy, is a, she yeah, definitely has some lab and shepherd in her, and she loves to chase the stick in the water mm-hmm, when we go mm-hmm. to the beach or uh, other places. And so, but she's so overzealous about it that she gets the stick and then swims back. She's an amazing swimmer, but she's always coughing up the water, cough, cough, mm-hmm, cough. And I, mm-hmm. so, to the point where I almost like feel bad for her. I'm like, eh, let's, you know, I'll just. I'll just throw the stick on on land, and yeah, yeah. and I was like that. That I mean, the beavers evolved a very amazing strategy Ability. to prevent that. So, yeah, and yeah. I mean, they're semi aquatic, and so they they have all these really cool adaptations as far as valves in both their nose and their ears to help mm-hmm. keep water out when they're submerged, and then they have eyelids that act like goggles. For when they nick I can never say this word nictitating. I think you did it. That's how I would say it. Nictitating. Yeah, Yeah, it's a nictitating membrane membrane or transparent membrane, or it's also known as the third eyelid, that Mm -hmm. which acts just like a goggle. It keeps the debris out and helps them be able to. How awesome would that be if we could have that? (laughs) I'd love to see underwater without. I know. I I was a swimmer growing up and in high school and and competing 
did a lot of competitions and things like that. And of course we always wear goggles, but then I'm also the weird person that can like swim underwater a lot and open my eyes, even in salt well, water. I, do. I can't, yeah, I can't. Uh, but then they always hurt. So I shouldn't oh, do yeah. it. So yeah, I need to. It's all blurry. You can't yeah, see. Yeah, no, you can't really see. But I like to pretend I'm a fish or something. And yeah, I have this yeah. third eye. I wish I had that third eyelid. But so, yeah, yeah, so several adaptations to make them be able to do all the really cool things that they've evolved to do over time. All right. So the tail, you want to talk about the tail or the, the, Oh, the of course the, the tail, device. the tail is pretty simple. I think we've talked about it yeah. a lot, but it, it really has a lot of functions with that round or oval shape, depending on if it's the American beaver or the Eurasian beaver. But it's, as Chris said, there's like, it looks like there's scales on it. Uh, but it's, it's also, called like leather too. So, I mean, it depends on what your analogy is, but from a function point of view, it's really important to help brace them when they're sawing down trees. And it also helps them swim and navigate as like a paddle or a rudder. rudder. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, they get fat tail. <laughs> I just made that. Yeah. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> but in the, they, their tail will get fat as uh, they can increase the fat supply in their tail up to 60% in cold weather. So yeah. yeah. And then as, I read – no, you're right. It acts as a reserve. Then I read that when predators approach, they will slap that tail on the water and it sounds like a shotgun. Like it is super, super loud. Yeah. It's, it's a huge loud. communication yeah. tool. Watched fun videos about that as well. So – well, and the cartoons have shown me they use the tails, right, to to like lay cement and build bricks and stuff, right? I mean, maybe in the zombie <laughs> <No>. movie. <laughs> in the zombie movie, yeah. They don't do that. They don't plaster mud with their tails. Like that's no, a misconception. Yeah, That is. Yeah, we'll yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. that yeah. when we talk about yeah. how they build their lodges. So, yeah, yeah their yeah. tails are – but it's – I mean, that's just the thing that really just got me was that they evolved. They They – Separated off the evolutionary tree from mice and naked bull rats and everything else, mm-hmm. and that tail is a result of it. And it's I, insane. It's That's crazy. insane adaptation. Yeah, it's really really yeah. cool. And so, um, but of course, most people know about their tail, but what they don't know is what lies under their tail. Mm-hmm. And what lies under their tail is quite interesting because at first read. I was like, oh, it's just your typical anal gland. Right. Lots of animals have them. Your dogs have them. Uh, A lot of rodents have them. Uh, Anal glands are a pretty common feature for many animals that like to scent mark territory, right? They, it helps express who they are and where they are living to other uh, other members of the same species or predators or everything else. So and so most people are familiar with anal glands being used for an animal to mark their territory or perhaps for some uh, mating rituals, all of which is very, very important um, for the beaver as well. However, anybody mm-hmm. that's ever either been around a dog anal glands that are oh, need to be expressed horrible. or uh several other animals it's stinky right it's, it's not very, anything very... that you want to be around well this is where the beaver is quite <laughs> quite <different>. unique <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so both the male and the female have what are known as Anal and or castor glands, so C-A-S-T-O-R. And 
Both set of glands lie at the base of the tail, so you probably ha- wouldn't haven't seen them before, and are really unique in that. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just? Okay, keep going. Keep going. Okay. I've got a, I got a stat on this that's just like. Oh, good, good. I love, I love okay. numbers. And so these anal or castor glands produce a specific oil known as castorium, okay, mm-hmm. which they mix with urine uh, to act as a scent marker. But what's special and interesting about beaver castor or anal glands is that, number one, the castor glands are really big. So they can be as large as 3.4 by 2.2 inches. That's big. That's, That's like big. visually very big, like your mm-hmm. thumb, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And they yeah. have and they have a pair of them. So they're almost like, uh, I don't know, what's like a pair of thumbs? A I, don't know. I don't know. There you go. They're big. Anyway. <laughs> big walnuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. However, different than a lot of other anal glands, the castor glands produce the castorium which smells like vanilla to some people. <laughs> and, and, do you want my statistic that it's approved by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration in the United States to be used in food flavorings as a yeah, substitute? Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's, it's used in food. Now, today, not very much because you have to actually kill beavers which we don't want to do but still the fact that they used to use this in food Mm -hmm. yum yeah yeah for food and perfume yes so (laughs) uh yeah Yeah. it's so it's uh, i just couldn't get over that it's not amazing i mean it's it's uh it's it's not necessarily what you would think of when you think of an anal gland and the odor Mm -hmm. it some describe the odor as warm and sweet and that, yeah, when it's mixed with other products, like whether it's dairy or anything like that, it can mm-hmm. be a stand-in for our typical vanilla. Listed as Gross approved, which uh, that's food grade standard mm-hmm. uh, for by the FDA. Uh, it's not really used. One of the stats said that about 2.6 million pounds of vanilla is used per year as a flavoring, whereas like maybe 300 pounds of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so not it's much. not, it's not really, I mean, you I got to be in those really that. special, special restaurants. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really worry about it, but in the same instance, like I, I mean, I don't, it's probably better than some of the artificial stuff, right? Theoretically, well, uh, depending on what no, the artificial stuff no. is made of. Chris says no. Chris is like, give no, me the artificial. No, 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 I just don't want anybody beaver killing beavers. So right. No, no that, that's <laughs> yeah. right. Because I think it is one of these things and I didn't look into it enough, but I, yeah, I no. mean, I think yeah, the sacks have it. to be yeah, like completely taken out. I don't think it's like a dog where, you know, expressed, you can just get a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they're expressed. Yeah. So, um, but I just, it's just really, really quite interesting because uh, yeah. beavers just surprising me all week no it is the the scent stuff just blew me away i mean i was like are you kidding me and they use it in food like okay um well then it smells but, good i just always think of yeah, like you know stinky because yeah, mm-hmm. of dogs you know our dogs you know oh, yeah good old arlo and his stinky anal glands right now i'm like oh my god you're killing me but you know it's dogs it just it just is nutrition so beavers this is really interesting because, and you're the, the nutrition expert out of the two of us because 
I tortured you and made you study nutrition a lot. I was going to say, I think we can go school. tit for tat. I think we're both not 100% nutritionists like some of my good friends, Taylor and Jesse. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. 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 But yeah. In, in the same instance, yeah, I can really – oh, I really dorked out about beavers today. And I'll, but yeah, I'll, and I, I'll I, keep it I short. Just, you, but yeah, yeah. I mean, they're incredible. So, they're, go yeah, for it. They eat the trees, right? They eat the trees. They eat the leaves. They eat the roots, right? So Yeah, they're herbivores. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, and to be more scientific, they're basically considered a generalist herbivore uh, because they they do a lot. They are not super selective, um, but in the same instance, it's a little deeper than that. That they love that although beavers eat bark, they really prefer the cambium, which is a softer growing tissue on the underside of bark or the inner bark. And as Chris mentioned, that's going to be willow and maple, maple and beech. And birch, oh, I love birch trees. Oh, I listen, mm. miss living up north. Alder, mm. aspen, poplar, and so they can digest wood, which is super fascinating, right? Uh, in my opinion, because okay, yeah, they're an herbivore, but they're eating like cellulose, which is typically yeah. for most species really you don't you don't digest it. It's too hard. You can't. Mm. You don't humans. We don't have the enzymes to actually break down the cellulose. And so mm-hmm. uh, that's for us, fiber, you know, it helps, we, it helps us poop it out. Well, I was really interested in how they do this. And mm-hmm. uh, researchers thought for a while that perhaps they had a special enzyme in their gut that was really good at uh, breaking down cellulose. But researchers are uh, proved that they don't have a special enzyme to do it, that it was actually very similar to horses and cows such that they have microbes that make the enzymes that then can break down the cellulose. And they basically, of course, I dorked out about it on another paper. This one is uh, a little bit newer, but it was cellulose digestion in the beaver. And so actually, no, this was an, an old one, but whatever. Research is research. And I'm I'm lucky yep, that yep, I yep. can uh, have the access to these papers. But yep, they found yep. that, uh, so for instance, horses, that's what Chris and I know and love, uh, they have an ability to digest 21 to 57% of the cellulose, depending on what it's coming from. Um, rabbits are about 31. Sheep are higher at 60 to 82. A beaver, uh, about 32 to 33% of ability to, re- to, to digest cellulose. And the researchers basically determined that this ability to break down cellulose was co- not coming from an enzyme that the beaver makes, uh, but that from their commensal mi- microbiome, um, the bugs yeah, in their gut. Yeah. So, and that, that similar to horses, the b- breaking down of cellulose does create energy for the beaver. Yeah. Yeah. It's an extra source. Yeah. So yeah, I just found it, it to be so cool. So I was like, no wonder I love beavers. They're kind of like horses. <laughs> well, I mean, they just, I mean, who eats trees? Like, right. you know, very right. few species. Yeah. Very, 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 can... very few. They're super yeah. unique. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, and then, of course, too, I don't know why this blew my mind. I guess this, this was like my week of like exploring and being curious, Dork I guess, out. all about beavers and dorking out. Uh Another fascinating behavior with food is that, is that they cache food or they store food for the wintertime. But we all think of squirrels and their nuts and trees nuts, and things right. like that. Beavers take it to a whole nother level, literally level mm-hmm. underwater. So they mm-hmm. take the branches and then they store them underwater where they last longer. And 
in their, and they store it near their home. So they really don't have to go too far uh, because beavers do not hibernate. So I also thought that was super interesting. A lot of the species that live in northern North America will typically hibernate, at least for a little little time during the cold winter months. The worst part, yeah. The yeah, worst part it, yeah, not beavers. Uh-huh. Yeah. They got a plan. They got their lodge to stay warm and protect them from predators. And yeah, they have yeah. their food stored uh, for a lot of – and it's a lot. It's a fair amount of um, – of food in trees that they they store underwater. Genius. They're brilliant. They're, brilliant. they're genius. They're brilliant. Be- busy I mean, as they're... a beaver has like literally, a, I'm sure my yeah. mom would say that to me when I was a kid and I'd roll mm-hmm. my eyes or whatever. And I now I probably say it to my kids and they roll their eyes. But <laughs> busy as a beaver has like a whole new importance. They're industrious in my life. like we opened. Yeah, they are they are busy, busy. And before we jump to behavior, more behavior, just Real quick, some you know some of their most common predators, like we talked about, predator control. That in South America, I'm sure something will try to eat them, but not much. Here, I mean, yeah, fishers, coyotes, wolves, river otters, lynx, eagles. Yeah, but they also hide out in their beaver lodge that they yeah, can't get to. Well, so they do. You know, they do have natural predators out there that will get them. But like you said, their lodges are incredible, incredible. Incredible. Like I said, it was just why I had so much fun this week. I'm mm-hmm. not going to be able to do it justice um, in the one or two minutes I have to cover Beaver Lodges. So Chris will put some stuff on the show notes if you yeah. want to look at a picture of it. There's no way. I read like two or three articles describing Beaver Lodges, and I finally had to go to Google Image to visualize it. In a whole, and I watched a couple like really cool Nat Geo mm-hmm. uh, videos and things like that. And so we know that beavers are known for their natural characteristics and traits of building dams. But the reason they build the dam is super clever. They're not just doing it for kicks and giggles. They basically want to build these dams so it raises the water table or makes like a pond in one part of the stream or the river or whatever it is. And they do that once again by using tons and tons of of timber and logs. In fact, the largest dam on record. Do you know how long it was, Chris? Did you come across that? I I think I did. Uh, let's see. There was a huge one, right? Like it was enormous. Biggest one or the longest one was a beaver dam that was about a half of a mile in Alberta's Woods Buffalo Park. Holy. Oh, the dam. Oh, my goodness. That is huge. Yeah. That is enormous. Yeah. That's and insane. it like spanned several multiple generations most of them aren't that big. And in fact, some beavers actually don't build dams. Not a lot, but it's there are beavers out there that have found a water area that suits all their purposes where they don't need to actually build the dam, but they'll still build their lodge. But most, most of them will dam up some kind of stream somewhere. And so the whole goal is to raise the water table to help them construct their lodge. So I'm going to say lodge... I'm dreaming right now of a lodge mm, in the woods and a vacation far away from my house, know, which probably isn't going to happen anytime soon. So <laughs> for a couple of years. So maybe that's why I was like so dorked out on beaver like lodges. I was like, oh, I would go stay in that hotel right now. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But at any no, I love my family and I love being around them twenty four seven for the past two months. For th- yeah, <laughs> going on yeah. three months. Now. Yeah, know, that's what I'm saying. A, be- a beaver lodge is like looking pretty amazing. But at any rate, mm-hmm. so when I say lodge, it means house. Just 
for, for the record. But uh, beavers will build three types of lodges. One are built on islands and one are built on the banks of ponds and the others are built on like shores of lakes. So sometimes they don't need to dam it, but usually they do. And w- with the dam raising the water table in a certain area, the beavers are able to construct their home with multiple levels, basically underwater up. And I don't, I read about how they build it on a step-by-step basis, but in general, the lodge is going to consist of like a, an oval, some, some call it oven shaped house of sticks, of course, and logs and grass and moss woven together and basically sealed or plastered with mud. Mm -hmm. And the room inside that can be anywhere from eight feet wide to three meters high. That's, that's what I'm yeah, saying. Okay, that's like, that doesn't sound so bad right now, right? No, 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 no. Yeah. And then the floor can be covered. So they, they make their floor and they cover it with either or they blanket with grass and bark and wood chips. Super cozy. Now, they have a little fire in there. Little, little, they build a, a ventilation pipe, yeah. and then so like at the very peak, they do the have a stove pipe. Yeah, they do. They they they, they know enough to build Ventilate. basically an air hole, a vent, right? A That's chimney, crazy. a vent, so wow. they get fresh air, fresh air circuit. I could use some fresh air right yep. now. Yeah, but the way that they get in and out of their lodge or their house is amazing, and it is. It has to do with the dam. The water table's raised, and so therefore, the way they construct it, and they, you know, they basically pile a whole bunch of sticks in the water on the bank to build up, and the entrance is sub like a submarine right, underwater, right. and mm-hmm. the exit, and so. Mm-hmm. That way, predators can't get in and out. Only they can get in and out. So they, it's just, and it's incredible how they do it because they actually then they actually have to they they go in and gnaw the water entrance after it's already all built. So they build mm-hmm. and then they have to bring all the stuff to make the flooring. I, Chris, I'm telling you, I'm in love. It's with eroded. Like, <laughs> this, this is eroded. It's, inc- <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, I yeah. my my uh, father in law uh, was an engineer, and I think uh, I think my boys have inherited some of that. And I I, I don't have any of that. I that's mm-hmm, not a skill mm-hmm. set that I yep. that I um, am involved in. So I, I'm just so impressed by this. It's just it's incredible. The, I mean. The amount of be the amount of time they spend doing this. Um, so they have to build the dam first, and then they build the lodge, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this is typically one family. So that's the other thing too. It's not like it's like forty beavers. It's usually like anywhere from yeah two to eight, depending on how large right. the family is and what season it is. And so Chris, I'll have Chris put an uh, um, a nice picture on our show notes. Yeah, but it's I'll just quite. It. It's just the most fascinating thing I feel like I've seen in a long time, and it looks pretty luxurious, I think, mm-hmm. for an animal den. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the other thing too is the damming of the water and the way that they construct this is also super genius because depending on how north, far north they live, uh, the lodge will not freeze. So the water near the lodge doesn't freeze over. So Mm -hmm. they can still have their entrance in and out because they don't hibernate. And next to their lodge is their food storage, their food cache. So they just swim into the water, grab their piece of willow that they've stored for the past 
four weeks and drag it up into the dry area of their lodge. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy. It's so fun and so cool. And I feel like I could just watch beavers work all day long. Um, Yeah. So I don't think I'm doing it justice, but hopefully you'll maybe explore uh, beaver lodges on your own and, uh, and, and uh, fall in love the way that I did. Living in those lodges would be amazing for a beaver. Now I'm trying to imagine the families like is dad in there with mom is, you yeah, know, yeah, Chris, it's pretty cozy and cool in there. The beavers usually live in family groups of eight around eight related individuals. They're called colonies, but they're once again, all related. It's usually mom, dad, a pair. And it consists of mom, dad, older siblings, and then newly born kids. So, oh, so even the older siblings are in there. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And it's uh, the younger siblings will stay with their parents for up to two years. And this is super cool. They, uh, they do a lot of allo parenting. So they help with infant care, with food mm-hmm. collection and dam building. So yeah, they're super family oriented, which I guess, especially during these times when we're all home with our family. I, I, I know. Of course, I make jokes about leaving them, but um, no, I would want to bring my family to my little beaver lodge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and beavers in general, they do, they're, they're pretty territorial. They'll defend um, their own territory, their lodge and uh, their dam against other families. And one of the ways they do this is by scent marking. So they make these mud piles around their the edges of their territory and then use those wonderful um, castorial anal gland secretions to mark the piles. And um, and then also, I, I don't think I mentioned too that the 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 oil that comes from the anal glands is actually they they spend a lot of time grooming themselves, like up to twenty percent, which of time of a time budget, which is a lot, but it's really important because they have a special grooming paw on their hind foot. It's like a little toenail that has a split in it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. yeah, they basically are working oil from their anal glands into their outer fur to help, help it keep waterproof. Waterproof. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And so they, yeah, they're, they're, they're hanging out in their lodges with their families, grooming, uh, self doing self grooming. And yeah, it's just, do they sleep? I mean, ever? I don't know. Probably. (laughs) But I mean, they're so, I mean, they have this, I saw one researcher described as like an uncanny instinct that like, if you move a log in their dam, if they mm-hmm. hear running water, it like drives them nuts and they have to like go fix it. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, and okay, I, okay. I, I mean, I didn't see the experiment and a paper right, on that, right. but in general, that it's really important for them to keep their dams and lodges up to par. And that's mm-hmm. something that parents teach their offspring. And so, mom and dad have a great relationship. They're monogamous, which is kind of interesting for rodents, but uh, especially ones that live for so long, they typically won't get a new breeding partner unless somebody dies. So, I mean, mm-hmm. they, they're together mm-hmm. for, yeah. what'd you say yeah. their lifespan was? 20 years. 15 years. Yeah. yeah 15, 20 years. Yeah. However, uh, I, I did appreciate this uh, in this modern day and age, but one researcher uh, described them in 2009 in a, a population in Illinois, suggested that the species might be opportunistically promiscuous. So the researcher, I, this cracked me up. The researcher described them as socially monogamous, 
but sexually polygamous. <laughs> so it's kind of like a modern day spin on a, you know, a, a marriage yeah. or that's, that's something yeah. you'd hear. That's something you'd hear like in divorce court, right? Like <laughs> I know. Well, they need diversity. So, you know, sure, you gotta sure. keep those genetics mixed up. Yeah. But in, but in general, very, very, very uh-huh. family oriented and, um, they will breed or mate, um, between January and March in the colder climates and in late November, December in the South, uh, their gestation periods about three months. And when it is time to give birth, beavers will have usually one to three or four kits. Beaver babies are called kits, which is super cute. Mm. Um, mm. And I don't know, there might not be anything more precious than a beaver kit. Uh, it's oh tough. my gosh! Oh my gosh! It's tough because when it's they're tough. they're born, they they have all their fur and their eyes are open and they're just adorable. So uh, their tails when they're born are about thirty eight centimeters, and they they're only about three hundred to six hundred grams. And their fur coat can vary from red, brown, or black, as we right. mentioned earlier in the podcast. They can they start swimming within 24 hours. Very, very amazing. And yeah, they just hang out with their parents and learn all about what life is like being a beaver. And they're typically weaned at about two weeks or two and a half months, depending on mm-hmm. the, the individual. But yeah, but the, the kids stay with their parents and then there's the older siblings. And so... Uh, usually a male and female beaver don't become sexually mature until they're about three years old. And as you and I love to always talk about the role of mom and dad, since you and I are moms and dads in our own Mm -hmm. life, the dad, of course, has a very important role. He is a hundred percent involved. Well, maybe not a hundred because let's, let's face it. Moms bear a little bit more of the the physiological load there, carrying yeah, carrying yeah. the young and nursing them. But no, yeah. he uh, he really spends a lot of time with the kids, and he helps get food for them. He helps teach them how to build. He babysits. Uh, he provides, yeah, just food, and he plays with his with his um, offspring. So yeah, it's just like a charming little family in their Beaver Lodge, and I'm in love. Period. <laughs> Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. I, I might want to come back as a beaver. I mean, every species, like, there's like, oh, that would be a fun life. Oh, that would be, you know, a fun life. Being a beaver in that lodge, yeah. That would yeah, be and then it's wintertime, but you're kind of warm because your lodge mm-hmm. has insulated everything and the water hasn't frozen around your lodge yeah. or around your food storage. And then you just dive yeah. down. I'm going to I'm gonna have a little willow right now. Ooh, ooh can I have some birch? That sounds I delicious. Know. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm in, it's. I'm just in love. And so I, uh, I hope that you stuck with us for this whole beaver episode and uh, want to help conserve them and conserve the wildlife and the trees and the mm-hmm, forest mm-hmm. that they live in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and probably yeah. not part, probably not partake in uh castorium scents <laughs> and food, <laughs> food or perfumes, right? Yeah, you know, I know, that there's, I know. We don't I need know. live animal parts for that. No, 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 no. So, you know, we, t- we talked about, you know, most of conservation that, you know, they're doing fine. It's, it's, they were almost extinct, but they have bounced back. IUCN has both species least concern. The European population's increasing, especially with reintroductions. The, the American populations are stable. So they're doing pretty good. 
I know we don't have any organizations out there specifically for beavers, but before I jump into conservation tips, you did want to promote my favorite zoo or one of my favorite zoos. Oh, yes. Um, I spent a lot of time this week uh, watching peanut videos on San Diego Zoo's live beaver cam. So, yeah, it's super fun. Peanut's amazing. I learned all about her and some of the uh, videos that they did, special education videos, which is phenomenal right now. A lot of the zoos, mm-hmm. although they're not open to the public, a lot of the accredited zoos and their amazing staff that are just incredible and spending so much time and energy taking care of the animals that they love. They're spend, they're doing a lot more educational outreach with videos and Facebook lives and Instagram lives. And so that's how I found out about Peanut. And she is the cutest beaver in the world. And I watched her for a long time. So I highly, Crystal put a link to that. And I highly recommend that, yeah, you just spend a little time uh, looking at beaver in your free time. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. And, you know, it's like I've seen Rick Schwartz doing a bunch of stuff for San Diego Zoo. Uh, My buddy, Mike Bona at LA Zoo. I, he was like, actually, I'm like, dude, you, you have it so great right now. You got all these animals, you know, I know bugging you. there was an, another, another YouTube video or Facebook yeah. live of um, a beaver at the Portland zoo, which was yeah. just in, I mean, she was very, very busy doing lots of natural behaviors and was, yeah. they're, just, they're really well him. taken care of in these zoos. So it's awesome. But I was going to say with Mike, Mike misses the visitors. Like he loves them. Like, he, it, was, it was interesting to, to see him on social media and he's like, ah, I want this to be over so people can come and I can talk to him about my giraffe and blah, 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 blah. So yeah, they're doing a great job. All right. So conservation tips this week, I was really thinking about it. It makes most sense to talk about keeping our water clean. And so I put some things you should not put down your drain. Now, some of them are, duh, you should know that, but you know, maybe I'll just state them here. One of the first things you should never put down your drain or any drain around your house. I'm not talking just your kitchen sink. I'm talking outdoors. Anything from your car, car fluids, antifreeze, transmission fluid, oil, windshield washer fluid, none of that should go down in your drains because that goes down. They don't typically don't get cleaned in a plant and they can get out into the ecosystem. So you want to either throw them away in in something old or you can recycle them if you can. Mm-hmm. Same thing goes with cleaning products, you know, bleach, things that you might use in your house. Don't pour those down the drain. Think about anytime you pour something down the drain, think about it going into your local rivers or oceans. And, you know, is that a good idea or not? All right, here you go. Some things you probably didn't think about. Coffee grounds? Yeah, typically. I mean, I always throw them. Yeah, we compost ours, which is a pain. It's a little messy. I feel like our worms and our compost are probably the most caffeinated worms in the world. (laughs) However, they do their job really well breaking down everything else. So maybe the caffeine helps them. (laughs) Yeah, you do not want to put coffee grounds because not only is it bad for the ecosystem, they can get stuck and wet, which sticks in your pipe, leading to clogs. Mm Mm-hmm. Fats, oil, and grease. Mom always told you, don't pour that down the sink. Yeah, we just save a glass jar from spaghetti sauce or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, we Mm -hmm. save all of our glass jars and recycle them, or we actually use them for uh, when we go to some of our eco-friendly stores to fill them up. But some Mm -hmm. of them are for grease. Yeah. Just that simple. That, again, that sticks to your pipes, can lead to clogs, things called fat birds. It's so gross. These big things in like the people that go clean all of our sewer systems, they find these just... Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. No, thanks. Uh, medication and drugs do not put down the sink ever. 
Yeah, no you know? way. Now, here's some things I didn't think about. Eggshells. You shouldn't put eggshells down there. That makes... Didn't know that. I, I mean, we didn't compost them again. I guess I... Yeah, that yeah. makes sense to me. But mm. it's it's the porous material that makes up eggshells actually binds to food. Mm. So, again, can lead to clogs. Flour. What happens when you add water to flour? It turns into paste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you don't want to pour flour down any sinks or anything like that. And then the final one, I never thought of this, was pasta and rice. Oh, interesting. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You should just throw that away because that can swell and clog pipes and things like that. So some of them are really bad for the environment. Other ones are just bad for your pipe system. Again, that leads to you running more water to try to clear it and, you know, wasting water, things like that. So there's just some some conservation tips. Now, that's it. Now, the only last thing that we were going to do on this special episode was play Evor Games song. And so his email, which was really, really awesome. He said, a while ago, I wrote a song about a mouse I found in the house. I tried heart in mouth to free him or her three times using live traps and trips to the park only to find he wasn't there in the trap. Finally, he jumped out one day from the trap and into the bushes. And he said, I think both of us felt a huge sense of relief and liberation. (laughs) So he titled the song, Farewell, My Friend. So here you go on our way out on this beaver episode about rodents. Here is a song straight from London about a mouse who was set free. Go escape to free. 